Luke chapter 11, and I just want to read two verses um, that uh, refer to uh, the uh, series that we started last week on strongholds. And last night we just had a really great time here. It was a lot of fun, Um, a lot of visitors, and uh, I think we're going to try to do this again May 16th. I'm just waiting to hear from Pastor Brian if he can do this or not, but Luke chapter 11, verse 21, and let's just pray. Father, we ask you to bless this message. Lord, speak to our hearts, speak to each one of us here. We thank you for each one that could make it. And we just also want to pray for Kevin today, who is who is a hearing tomorrow morning at 9. And we just ask you, God, for just special mercy on him and a just a breakthrough, Lord. We do pray that he would be able to uh, get moved to that location that he is, we're praying that he can get moved to, and just total healing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Luke chapter 11, uh, verse 21 And it says these words, when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. Okay, let's just think about that for a moment as we read this. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all of his armor and which he trusted and divides his spoils. Now, who is the strong man here? The strong man that guards his own palace. Who is that? Who is the the strong man that is being mentioned here in the Bible? It's, It's actually here speaking about the devil who keeps his goods in his own palace. And this palace really is a palace that he has created, that he has a stronghold, a bulwark, a fortress that he has, that he has built. And everything he has in there are at peace because he's controlling it. But when a stronger than he comes upon him, and who is the stronger than he? Who is the stronger, of course, than the devil? This is a Sunday school class, isn't it? It's God, isn't it? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the stronger, comes, the second Adam, who comes upon him and overcomes him. How did... Jesus overcome the devil, but through what? The cross, Jesus Christ. And that is the center message. The cross is the central, central message uh, of, of our church here. It is, the, it is the centristic message and overcomes him. What does Jesus do? He takes from the devil all of his armor. And when did he do that in Ephesians chapter 4? When he rose from the dead. In Ephesians chapter 4, he led captivity, he, took, he left, led captive, um, led them free, and he divided all of the devil's spoils. And what were the spoils that, the, that Jesus Christ divided? Um, the spoils of the devil were the power over death, the, the power of death. And now the believer has power over death. We have victory in death. So when we die, it really is our great bridge to heaven. It's a great promotion in our life. And so the great thing that the devil held over you and I, which was the fear of death, is now divided, taken away from the devil and is no longer something that he can use as a tool. 
Let's look at it in John chapter 8, verse 32. And I want to read another verse here. John 8, verse 32. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he says this, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The Nazis got that all messed up when they built Auschwitz. And I've been to Auschwitz at least twice when I lived in Poland. Looking at the place, it just looks like a... It just looks like an industrial complex of little warehouses where a lot of atrocities had happened. And right over the gate, front gate, it said, work shall make you free, which is like the demonic gospel, isn't it? Yeah. Work makes you free. Uh, you will be free if you work. In the gospel of Jesus Christ is absolutely different, that Jesus has made us free through the finished work of Christ. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Let's... You shall know the work, you shall know the emotions, you shall know the intellectualism, you shall know the success gospel. By the way, I believe in prosperity. I believe in that. I, but I explained what I, how I mean that. I, of course I want to prosper. I want to prosper as a believer. Third John chapter 2. Prosper as your own soul prospers. I believe that God wants to bless the believer. I don't worship prosperity. I don't worship blessing. I don't worship new things. And I just, I just, I mean... I would prefer to prosper than to suffer, I think. And I think that when we know Christ, we live in a life of blessing. And I think that we can prosper in very hard times, right? But anyway, the point here is, is that the truth shall make you free. The devil is always trying to hide from you and I truth because he does not want us to be free. Think of the three things that God said to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1, verse 22. He said, he, God said this, he said, what did he say? Be fruitful, right? Which means be successful. Uh, have Bear fruit in your life. Uh, just be a fruitful person. Number two, multiply. That means it just expand, reproduce, not only physically but spiritually, reproduce. And the third thing, what's the third thing? Take, uh, take possession uh, and fill the earth meant to be a steward of the earth. And so... The, the original mandate or the original um, mandate that God gave Adam and Eve was those three things. The world system today will tell you, do not be fruitful. You cannot, God does not want you to succeed in what you do. Number two, he does not, he wants, the, the, the world system wants to control population levels. You know, there are people, internationalists, that believe that the... Um, they have goals to limit the population to uh, 500 million people. And they don't want to have any more people than that on the planet. And they will do that to, uh, through many different ways. And we don't need to get into that today. But, and then number three, uh, God wants you and I to be stewards and to reign in this life through grace, Romans chapter 5, to reign over our life. What's the devil's gospel? Do not be fruitful. Do not bear fruit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, temperance. You know, the devil doesn't want that kind of fruit in your life. The devil doesn't want you to have a blessed family. Now, don't think I've got into the prosperity gospel here, because I'm not saying that. I'm saying that, that, that when we know God and the way he thinks, then we are fruitful. We multiply. I think that God wants you and I to multiply your life into somebody else. Let me ask you a question. Do you have someone that you are investing everything into uh, men with men, women with women. 
do you, if you're a man, do you have a, a, another young man that you're investing in everything that you've learned in your life? Because when you and I pass away, what's going to happen? Like, you know, are we raising up a Timothy? Do we have a Titus in our life? Jesus had Peter, John, and James. Do we have a Peter, John, and James? Maybe God wants just to give us a, a Peter. Uh, and you say, well, no, I don't have it. Well, ask God. Because if, if you're being discipled, then God wants you to disciple other people. And that's how churches grow, by the way, discipleship. We want to be discipling other people. And what does that mean, that I have command over somebody else's life? No, it just means that I want to invest everything that God has given me into somebody else. One time I said, I said, written something on the internet, I said, oh, if I had a thousand lives to live for Christ, somebody wrote back and they said, well, why don't you, that's never going to happen. Why don't you just invest in your life in a thousand people? And then you have a thousand lives to live. And I thought, wow, that's really great. Why don't we invest our lives in people? I pray about it. Just say, God, send me someone that I can invest in, you know. And you don't have to try to make it happen and sit down with somebody and say, I'm going to mentor you, sit down and listen to me. <laughs> but just like to say, hey, look, I'd like to invest in you. And because God is not afraid for people to see his people succeed. Because we're, we are secure in Christ. If you succeed as a believer and become a great, much greater person than I am, much more talented, much more fruitful, if you go out and plant 100 churches or whatever, I am going to rejoice personally. I want you to be to grow beyond anything that I could ever do. You know why that? Because it it, it goes to it goes to my account. <laughs> I'm just saying that we as secure people are not afraid to see other people succeed and to and to really ask a mom or dad. Are you afraid? Are you worried that your kid is going to be more successful than you? No, of course I want my kid to be way more successful than I am. How does that happen? Well. The devil doesn't want that to happen. And so what is the truth that makes us free? Well, in verse 37, and I got away here a little bit from the verse, they, the Pharisees, answered, we are Abraham's descendants. Now, what does that mean? Well, we are descended from Abraham, and we're in bondage to nobody. How can you say you will be made free? And so the Pharisees and these Judaizers uh, were associating themselves with Abraham and said, you know, we're part of Abraham. Um, and we're in bondage to nobody. But that is really not truth. They were in bondage to a religious system. They had a religious stronghold that were keeping them prison. And they were so much in prison that they could not even see the stronger man that came to fulfill the law. And he said, most assuredly, Jesus said, most assuredly, I say unto you in verse 34, whoever commits a sin is a slave of sin. Okay. And that is so, because any one of us that ever lives in a form of sin or missing the mark of trusting God in our life or living in the flesh, then we become a slave to that. We're a slave. We just become a slave to it. And we could be actually a functioning slave. Have you ever, have you ever met a functioning drug addict or an alcoholic? They are living their life as a functioning individual. And they're getting, they're working, they're, they, have, they have a family life, but they have something that they are just in bondage to, but they're functioning. And this is not freedom. This is, a, this is bondage. And this is what God wants to set us free from. Here's a, I don't know if you've heard this saying. I heard it the other day for the first time, and I thought, this is, this is so true. Nature abhors, uh, nature abhors voids. How many have ever heard that before? 
I, I never heard that before. I think it's so true because if you and I, and we talked last week about black holes in the soul, a black hole in the soul. When you and I have a black hole in the soul, that's a void, a vacuum. And nature, by its own laws and by its own <clears throat> physics, will rush to fill that hole with something. It will rush to, to like, if, for example, if you have a pit in the ground and it rains, what fills up first, the pit in the, hole, the, pit in the ground? Uh, if there is a high or if there's a, if there's high pressure or if there's low pressure in a, weather, in a weather pattern in a certain region of the United States, high pressure will rush, rush from other parts of the region to fill that low pressure. And so nature has a way of balancing itself. Same thing with the soul. If you and I have a hole in our soul that we're not filling with, like we said last week, and if you didn't hear the message last week, listen to it online if you can. If you and I don't fill it with the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, praise and worship, promises, uh, body life, corporate body life, then what will happen is, is that nature, your nature, your fallen nature, is going to rush to fill that hole with something that is fallen, that is imperfect, and that is temporary. Now, what happens when you and I fill a hole with something that is not that it's not the right thing. For example, let's take potholes on uh, 611, for example, <laughs> or, on the, or, or on the highway or on East County Line here. What happens when you fill a hole with something that's not properly, that's not the proper material? It's going to shrink or it's going to expand. It's going to break, make the hole bigger. And then it's all going to come out and just destroy everybody's car. And you're going to have a bigger hole than, than before. If you and I try to fill something in our soul hole, that is not the proper uh, eternal um, content from God, from the Word of God, the love, joy, peace, then what will happen is, is that we'll actually create a bigger hole. And so this world is always trying to fill the hole in the soul, and it's causing more problems. And so we have to realize that any, any area of our life, and here's the thing, is that and we talked about this last week, and and um, we just said that in any, any area of our life that is an addiction is something that we are trying to physically, uh, naturally um, fill a hole there that we've never sat down with God in the Bible and defined. You know, we, we said last week that if there is some kind of addiction in my life or something that is causing me to be a slave to something, then instead of trying to deal with the actual symptoms and the addiction and the sin and the problem, we need to go, in, we need to dig deeper with God, get really quiet with the Bible, with God, get counsel and just find out what created the hole. Why is that hole there? And think about it. Don't get too psychoanalytical about it, but let the Holy Spirit teach you. And, and, and you know, so actually we don't even need to know why really, why the hole is there. But the answer is, is that we need to start filling ourselves with, with divine content. There are, there are five steps that we talked about last week, and I just want to repeat them. That, um, and here's what happens is that whatever we fill the hole with becomes an idol in my life. It becomes an idol. Now, today we don't pray to wooden, wooden trees, totem poles, rocks. We don't 
you know, burn we don't burn incense incense to um, uh, to molten images, but in our Western culture we have idol we have demons that hide behind material objects, and that is really I I, I was getting gas this morning and there was a guy. He had a little rag, and he was just kind of cleaning the front of his car. His little brand-new pickup, a really nice pickup truck, you know. He's just cleaning it, and I thought, I go, that's, that, that's me right there. You know, that's all of us. That's, that's modern-day idol worship. <laughs> I mean, it's great to have a great car and everything. It's nice. But I thought, you know, does that guy have God, does that guy have God in his life? And, and anyway... What happens, number one, what we use in addition to Jesus in our life is idolatry. And it becomes what we worship. If I have Jesus plus something in my life, Jesus plus works, Jesus plus, plus uh, pot, Jesus plus uh, external relationships, if I have Jesus plus something else in my life, then that equals idolatry. And I become a functioning Christian. Uh, number two, what we worship, listen to this, what we worship, we grant access to our minds in our souls. What you and I worship, we're, we're just saying, hey, come on in. Have access to my soul and my mind. You know, and remember, what are we worshiping? The thing that we put in the, we put in the hole of our soul. Number three, that pattern of, of, of access creates patterns of thinking. And I want to just focus on that in a minute. That creates patterns of thinking. Those patterns, number four, of thinking become the building blocks for strongholds that the devil builds in our lives that allows the devil to cause confusion and havoc and chaos in our lives. And so the whole thing is, is that what am I toler excuse me, what am I tolerating in my life? And this is the biggest question for you and I today. What are we tolerating? What do we allow to come in and out uh, that we don't really say, oh, that's because this is the thing about idols. Is if, you if you and I take an idol, if we take something that exalts itself against God and the Word of God and we allow it into our life, that idol is not just an inanimate object. It's not just an item that we can just play with and then put in the closet and leave it there until next time. And then we want to play with it again. We go back, bring it out, play with it. And it's not a toy, but it's actually something that is, that is uh, inspired by uh, a demonic system that wants to control your life because Satan does not want you to be fruitful, to multiply, and to, to be a steward over the earth and those things that God's given you. And so that little idol is going to start getting more and more control in your life with less and less of a diminishing effect. Do you know what that means? The, do we know what the law of diminishing effect is? It's like when I'm an alcoholic, the more I drink, uh, the less of the, of the effect it has on I me. Mean, I have to drink more. And this is what idol worship is. And this is number five. These idols will demand attention and service. And so that's why we have to be so careful as Christians what we are tolerating into our house, what we're tolerating for our eye gates. The eyes are the doorway to the soul. What am I looking at? We need to be very careful and so this process, we find ourselves in a fortress many times that we can't escape. So what is really, what is really the, the answer? And I don't want to spend the whole time on the problem here. Sometimes we look at other people's strongholds and we're like, wow, why doesn't that person just listen? Or why don't we just, and we say to ourselves, why can't I just get it? Because spirit, strongholds are not just physical. They are spiritual. They are spiritual strongholds that, 
that um, that create stubbornness in, of thinking. And so here is here is really the answer, and it's this: that through the cross, Jesus, a stronger man, defeated the devil and took away his armor. You know, not only does the devil been defeated, but he has no armor. That means you and I can march into his world with the gospel, and he has no defense. Isn't that amazing? Did you know that? I was thinking about that this morning. Like, sometimes we as Christians come into, like, you know, you know maybe Eddie's doing a, a, a coffee house somewhere in a crazy little cafe somewhere, you know, and sometimes we could think, or he could think, or I don't know, I'm just trying to imagine a situation. Like, wow, who am I, this little person in this big, big thing? And what kind of effect do I have? The devil is very worried when you and I walk by faith into his territory with the gospel of grace, you know? Like downtown, downtown Philly, I, I know that Ron used to do stuff down there. We used to go down and do outreach in Girard Ave. You know, when we have these, when we march into the devil's territory, you know, the devil's territory may be your neighbor who is living in some kind of stronghold. We just go over and we share the gospel with them. I was driving here this morning and leaving my, getting ready to, it was coming out of my street and one of my neighbors was doing some work on the grass and she goes, going to work, huh? <laughs> so my neighbors always say, going to work, huh? And I go, it's not work for me. I love this. And I wound up inviting her to church with my wife. So, and this is a strong, this is the, we, we can march into the devil's world and the devil has no, he has no defense. The cross crucified through the finished work, our flesh. And when a person begins to live in this and begins to fellowship with it, they're going to find little by little chains are going to start to fall off. So let me explain this. It, where does it all begin? You know, dealing with a stronghold in your life, if you and I have a stronghold in our life and a little idol is like the little imp that's running that stronghold, what do we do? How do we deal with it? Well, for us to go in there with carnal weapons, like we said last week, through self-improvement, through self-effort, through a moral program or emotionally beating ourselves up or guilt and condemnation, those are carnal weapons and they don't work. They actually reinforce the stronghold. The only thing that can tear down a stronghold is what Paul said to the Corinthians. And he said, he said, pulling down strongholds, casting down vain imaginations that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. And so where it all begins is, to ca- is in our thought life. Our thought life. Don't worry about the condition that you or somebody else is in. Don't worry about that. Because when a person, when you and I start thinking right with God, then those strongholds melt. They just begin to melt. The devil doesn't want people to think. Um, We call it critical thinking. And when we don't live with godly critical thinking, what will happen is we begin to believe a lie. That I am my sin. I am my problem. I am my failure. And that's that's not the case. As a matter of fact, you and I, we are not products of our environment. We are not. Don't believe that. When someone says, oh, I'm, I'm a minority, or I grew up in a poor neighborhood, or I don't have any money, or uh, everything's bad, my, that is a big, fat lie. Do not believe that. Just whenever you hear that, just say, get thee behind me, Satan. That is so stupid. It's not true. Because there are many, many people that have been in very, very adverse circumstances that God has really blessed and and has been very, very fruitful in their life. You and I, listen to this, you and I, you and I 
are, we are human beings. God created us to be creative. We are creators. Now, I don't want to sound like a humanist here, or don't get me wrong, but Genesis 1.22, God created us to be masters, and we will be masters of ourselves unto becoming overcomers, or we will be masters of ourselves that will lead us to destruction. We, in one way or the other, are going to are going to dominate what we're doing. We're going to dominate our family and our world with destruction, or we're going to dominate our world and our family and where we work with the mind of God and with the kingdom of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Whatever you and I do, we never stop creating. We are always, and I'm not saying creating like God creates. I'm saying that you and I have the ability to do something, and there's fruit to our labor. And so when a person says, I had a bad upbringing, do you know what? It's just, whenever it says, when someone says that to you or when you say that to yourself, you just say, just say, you know, that's not true. Because you and I in the Bible, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, we are, as a man thinks, so is he. If you remember one thing from this message today, just remember that one verse. As a man thinks, he is, so is he presently, in the present tense. I am what I am today by, uh, by my thoughts. So think of your mind like this, a garden. How many have ever gardened before? Okay, we had a garden over here in the corner of the property for a little while. I tried to do, I've tried to, I tried gardening and that was disastrous. I should have gone to jail with what I did with the plants. Just a plant abuser. Uh, my garden just totally failed and that was just it. You know, our mind is like a garden and what are we planting in that garden? You know, th- your thoughts are like these little little seedlings that pop up out of the ground. And whatever I plant in my mind is seeds. That's the thought life I'm going to have. And a lot of times people are complaining about their circumstances. Oh, I have such a bad life, and this person betrayed me, and this happened, and this is bad, and my car blew up, and my house is on fire, and my whole family left me. I mean, all of us could talk about things like that. We could compare, you know, with what's going on. But you know something? You and I feed those circumstances when we are putting the wrong seeds in our mind, when we're not thinking with God. Take, if you have a, a crazy circumstance that you're in, the answer is, is not try to, you and I try to manipulate the circumstance or people to manipulate, or it's other people's fault or my fault or whatever. We need just to go in to begin to plant the right seeds in our mind. What are the right seeds? Finished work. It is finished. It is it is a, it is a, because these seeds become food for our minds. And if I'm feeding my minds bad food, how, do, how am I going to think? Because thoughts will lead to a brand new pattern of thinking. The filter, we need a mind, we need a filter for our mind. And that's Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Let's turn there for a second and read this. This is our filter. How many have put filters on their water or in their, in their heating and air conditioning systems? How many people use filters in their car? How many don't use filters? Okay. How many don't know what a filter is? <laughs> filters keep the bad stuff out, don't they? And the mind needs to be a filter. We need to, we need to filter. There's a part of the mind, actually, a little part of the brain called the little brain that is a filter for what's going on in the brain. Philippians 4.8, Finally, brethren, and this is the last thing that Paul is saying to the Philippian church, so... He's saying to the church, heads up, this is very important. 
I want you to remember this. Whatsoever things are true, not a lie. By the way, people believe the worst things, the, the wrong things about it. Be careful what your sources are for your information. Sometimes people say, did you hear about this? And they post it on Facebook, and later on you find out it was a total hoax. You know, check your sources like about what you believe and what you repeat. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, you know, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue and if there's any praiseworthy, meditate on these things. I just want to say that what you and I meditate on, what we're thinking about, and sometimes Christians don't like that word meditation, but the Bible tells us to meditate. Meditation, what are we feeding on? Like a cow would chew on its cud. What are we chewing? And whatsoever things, if it can fit through that filter right there, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 8, then that's something I want to meditate on. Because if I'm meditating on a, a, a healthy thought life, then that's going to impact my circumstances. It is. It's going to change your circumstances. Without you even trying to change them. You and I, this is, this is um, numero uno. What I, I don't know what language I could say this in. This is so important. Primo. This is so important. The way we think. And I want to finish with this. We lack concentration because there's no inner consecration. Pastor Stephen said that years ago, and I like that. We lack concentration in our life because we lack a sense of consecration, uh, leading ourselves to the cross, crucifixion. You know, there are goals that people have in their life that they never, ever get to um, realize because they don't have inner discipline in their thinking. They they begin to feed their minds with doubt and fear and... uh, you know, they begin to feed themselves with thoughts about themselves that are just not right. And sometimes we, if we don't have a filter, we just accept it. And we don't even, we just, we don't even see it slip in the back door, but the thought's there. And it begins to, it begins to grow weeds. And like, like, just like a garden, we have to weed it. And there are things we have to pull out. Say, that's a weed. That's, and some weeds look like, just like the, the seedlings, don't they? And you just have to really know what you're looking at with discernment. And we got to pull stuff out. we got to pull weeds out. Or our, our, our garden's going to be overgrown with just a tangle of just chaos. And, and, and therefore, um, our thought life is so key. It's so key. And I just have a question for us this morning. And I just, I thought about it this morning. Um, Sometimes we know, hey, I got to change my thoughts. This has got to change in my life. The things are like, you know, this is not right, or that's got to. But the bigger question is, is how much do we want that? That's the big question. You know, remember the prodigal son went out. He had a great time. He didn't really enjoy his time out there. But when he got out there, there's a moment where he got to. It came to a point where he, it says he came to himself. And there's that moment where we come to ourselves about certain circumstances and we're like, you know what, I just don't want that. That is not me. You ever, you ever come to a thing, something like that in your life and you're just like, yep. you know what, that's not me. That's not me. I don't want that. I don't want to associate. I hate it. I don't want it. I'm going to go back home. And how much, and this is a good question, sometimes when, I, when we talk to people, 
they struggle with things, but they, it's like it's the, the big question is how much do you want this? And like, well, I don't know. And it's like they're not there yet, you know? They're just maybe not there yet, or maybe we're not there yet. And we just need to sit down and say, you know what, how much do I want this in my life? Jesus many times asked people, how much do you want this? What would you have me to do for you? And so, um, mind renewal, and I'm going to close with this. Our, the, 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 the answer is having our mind renewed and quickened in Romans chapter 12. Having our minds renewed, having the spirit of our mind in Ephesians 4 verse 23. Ephesians 3, 23. The spirit of our mind renewed. And you know, when we have our mind renewed, when we come to church, we get our mind renewed through worship, through the word of God, through fellowship with other believers. You and I need this, you know. We need this. We need this more than we need a rugby game or more than we need anything else. We need this so much. We need this so much. Mind renewal, quickening through the Holy Spirit. Then we set our mind on things above in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Set your mind on things above. Last night we were talking with a group of people, and it was great because, you know, when you're with a group of mature people, it's really awesome because what will happen is, is that when the conversation begins to digress into something that's maybe not edifying, somebody picks it up, and then they'll, be, then, then they'll, they'll say, hey, you know, um, uh, isn't this Bible verse beautiful? Isn't this amazing what God's doing here? What is, you know, they bring in God's perspective. When we live with setting our minds on things above, then the pattern begins to change. And I want to finish this next week about spiritually mindedness and how we can be set free from the gravity of the earth that pulls us down. Just remember this, that Jesus Christ came and took from the devil his power. And for you and I to experience that in our lives... We need to continue in the truth. And continue in the truth means that I'm feeding my mind with something different than what is on TV, what's on the Internet, what other people are saying on Facebook, what I'm getting for text messages or what, whatever is going on. I'm not getting bad text messages, but I'm just saying that we can get bad stuff sometimes that comes through our, that comes through our door, and we need to know how to deal with that. Because if we are not thinking with God, living with discernment and filtering what's coming in, then we're gonna, it's going to pull us right down, back into the mire. And that's how we overcome strongholds. We begin to think in truth. We begin to fill the void that, you know what, I feel lonely, but you know what, God is with me. He never leaves me nor forsakes me. Well, I'm a little fearful today. Well, you know what, the Bible says, fear not, for I am with you. Uh, Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 and 9. Uh, go, I'm with you. Well, today I'm a little doubtful in my, in my ability to do something. Well, P Philippians chapter 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, I'm a little angry at that person, or I'm a little upset or disappointed. Well, you know what? Like we heard the verse earlier, know no man after the flesh. And 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses 14 through 17, if Christ died, then we are all dead, right? Uh, maybe I'm not doing so well in my job. You know, maybe I'm failing at my job, or maybe I don't have a job, or I lost my job. I can start thinking like this. God provides. God will provide. We heard last night from that gentleman that came. He said, you know, he was, uh, he was fired from his job. He was supposed to retire, but God has been giving him work continually. 
and he's been eating from the hand of God. So begin to feed yourself with the promises of the Word of God. And what will happen is, is that your thinking, just your thinking, I'm not trying to talk about op- positive thinking, I know that's out there, or optimism. I'm talking about divine thinking and faith, that because a positive thinker can think positively but have no impact on his circumstances. A person that thinks, and I know we know that, but a person that thinks, because there are preachers out there that will just talk about positive thinking, but there's no authority in that. But if we're thinking with the Word of God about our situation, then what will happen is, is that your thought life is going to impact circumstances that you can't physically change. Do you, do you got that? That this is very, very good. Like, if you and I think with God about things, that is going to impact circumstances, and it's going to impact your health, too. It's going to impact your health. And I don't want to get into that today, but I'm just excited about this subject because isn't it great the devil can't pull, a, pull the wool over our eyes with this lie? Like, you are a loser. No, you're not. That's what the world will tell you. That's what maybe other people will tell you. But you are not a loser. You're got, if you've got breath in your lungs today, you are a winner, and you are a creator, and you are, you are, God is with you, and God wants you to be fruitful and to multiply and to reign in this life through Christ and the grace that's given to us. Amen? Amen. So praise the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for creativity, divine creativity, God, that you